This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 228. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. Today, I am joined by Mr. Matthew Marister. Hey, Riley. How are you doing? What's up, man? Mr. Producer and co-host. <laughs> that sounds too official, man. <laughs> well, it is official. You know, as producer, you, you, you were tasked with finding and reaching out to and setting up interviews with interesting people. And today's interview is certainly one of those. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've been trying to get people that I find interesting, and I hope that uh, you know I'm, I'm kind of on the pulse with the uh, with the listeners, and they'll find them interesting too. I'm pretty sure this is a no brainer. I think they're <laughs> going to love this one, but yeah, yeah, yeah. So, just to preview it a little bit, guys and gals, today's interview is a special interview with, it's another one of our kind of DGU or justified save type interviews, okay? So this is really awesome, fantastic stuff, but this story takes a little bit different turn than many of our other stories typically do, because this is not one where, I mean, yes, he did the right thing. He drew his weapon, he defended himself, all of that went successful, but then he found himself arrested and charged with pretty serious crimes. I, th I think it was about seven felonies that he was facing, a lot of years in prison, and was fortunate to, with a good attorney, to get him off of all this stuff and, and ultimately be exonerated. He's written a book about his experience. We'll talk about that. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. The Santa Shooter, Marcus Weldon. We'll bring him on here in just a sec, but today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. Of course, longtime listeners, should be no surprise. <laughs> GuardianNation.com is a major sponsor of the podcast, and honestly, those of you that are members of Guardian Nation directly support this podcast in a big way and make it possible for us to continue to bring this kind of content to you. So thank you, Guardian Nation members out there. You know what? If you're watching the podcast right now uh, and you're a GN member, drop it in the chat right now. Let us know if you're a member. Uh, there's so many of you now, I can't honestly remember who's members and who are not, or who... That's terrible grammar, right? But anyway, you know what I mean. So <laughs> anyway, uh, GuardianNation.com, head on over, check it out, find out why you need to be a member today because there's lots of reasons why. We used to talk about them all the time, but it's just, it's just, there's just too much. Whether it's the Guardian gear box that gets sent out once a quarter. I have mine sitting around here somewhere. I don't know where it went. I had the box. Oh, here it is. And it's actually not, it's not always a box. Sometimes it's a bag. So... I got yesterday this quarterly, so it's uh, it ships out in February, May, what is it, August, I think, and November, I think, is when they ship or something. I'm, 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 no, maybe it's, ah, I, 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 <laughs> I know it's February August. and May. Is it August? I think August is the next August. box. Um, this month's, I'm just going to preview one little thing, came with a pretty awesome tactical flashlight, and I was playing around with it last night, and it is... It's pretty awesome. So I was really stoked about that. All of this stuff, I mean, we got stuff in We got a DVD in here, a training DVD. We've got some training stuff. Ooh, I'll, I'll preview this too. Uh, we've got the Dry Fire Primer book by our friend Annette Evans. Anyway, GuardianNation.com. Check it out. So, folks, that's I, that's all. I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, and now I'd like to introduce you to 
Well, I'd like to say our new dear friend, and he is actually right here, right now. He's raised his hand uh, in in the in the in the in the chat room here that we have. So I, I think that means it's time, Matthew, to introduce Mr. Marcus Weldon, the Santa Shooter. Hello, sir. How are you? Are we having some technical difficulties there? Maybe. Yeah, he was having a little bit of a connection problem. So. Hey, how you guys doing? I raised my hand trying to get a. I can't hear you guys anymore. Ah, ah got it. Got there it. we go. So he he did lose some connection with us for for just a brief moment, and uh, we've got him back. So you can hear us now, and I think we can hear you. Okay. Yeah, it's really low. I can hear you, but it's very low. Okay. Uh. Well. Um. We'll we'll get through this as best we can. <laughs> so. Marcus Weldon, the Santa shooter, sir, tell us a little bit about yourself, um, a little bit of your background. I, I, I was reading about you a little bit and you were doing some really awesome, you know, community service type stuff in your community. I think you're still doing a lot of that, right? And, and tell us about kind of your life right. leading up to December 21st, 2014. Well, yeah, I, I'm just, I'm just a common gun owner, uh, just trying to make a difference. Uh, I carry for about I'd say about three, four years before the incident happened. I, uh, I, I'm a father and just trying to do do my best to make my community better. I've always been at, my, at the church. I really mentor kids from the ages of 14 to about 17. Uh, it was a program called Redeem Detroit that my church created back in 2014. And uh, I also did a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, to work with our mayor at the time, Mike Duggan. Well, he's, he was just reelected, so did a lot of volunteer work with him as well on the, the advisory board. Uh, just coming up with different ideas for our new recreational center, different things we can do that people involved. And so I, I just pretty much before everything happened, just your average guy. I mean, I work, you know, I work every day. Uh, actually, an engineer down at the uh, MGM hotel. Hmm. And so just, just try to do, try to do my part. And unfortunately everything changed that crazy day. Now we are having a little bit difficulty hearing you. Like you've gotten also very quiet. Uh, whereas earlier we had no problem picking you up at all. So, um, not, not sure what's going on there, but, uh, hopefully it'll improve here. So Marcus, you were, um, become working on becoming an elect, an electrical engineer, right? Yes. Yep. Electrical engineer. Yep. Oh, that's a little bit better. I can hear you better now. Uh, you were, you know, doing some, some great stuff in your community, trying to help, you know, kids that were maybe struggling in their, in their lives, uh, you know, turn their lives around, stuff like that. Right. Yep. Definitely. I did, uh, mentoring, just trying to get kids on the right path, trying to give them a, a good example of, of what a man should be and, um, give them some courage, career choices. Yeah. Awesome. And then a law-abiding, uh, permit-holding uh, gun carrier. Yeah, like I said, com- common gun owner. I just, you know, grew up around firearms. My fi- father was in the military. Mm. So, uh, you know, I had a friend I lost in the streets to uh, get carjacked and was killed. So I started to carry a firearm right after that to protect myself. Yeah. So you're carrying a gun on you the night of December 21st, 2014. And you had been attending uh, some sort of uh, fundraiser or some sort of event, right? Correct. 
Yeah. Right. I was at a, at a it was a promotional uh, show for Christmas and uh, I was working for a promotional company and we had to dress in Santa outfit. Right. For theme. And then so you were dressed up as as Santa Claus and you had uh, so it was it was after the the party or the fundraiser or the promotional event, right? And uh, what what are you doing when you when you left the event? What were you doing? Just helping out a, a friend of mine. Her she had a flat tire, and she was actually working the event too. So when I when we left, she called me and said that her tire was uh, flat, and I just was actually going to the gas station to help see if I can help change it. I was around uh, it's around like one one twenty five in the morning at that point because the event we worked uh, it got out pretty, pretty late. Uh-huh. All right, so you're changing a tire. Um, it's fairly late, and and then then what happens, man? So you got two two guys eventually that approach you, or or what happened there? Right. Yeah, two guys, pretty much. Uh, one guy got out the car. Both of them were intoxicated. Um, I could tell just about how they were, <clears throat> their demeanor, and um, they got physical with her. When I guess she didn't give them any. Feedback they wanted when, when they uh, he said something to her. I'm not sure exactly what he said, but you know, I'm just assuming it's along the lines of trying to you know get some action, trying to get some play. She did. She said no, and um, it got to the point where he was enraged because I guess he was intoxicated and he pushed her. Um, and when I seen that, I was already kind of down on the ground. I got up and I was like walking towards her. I'm looking like, what in the world is going on? Or, you know, why is this guy so upset, right? Mm-hmm. And um, I, I said something along the lines of, hey, man, you know, leave her alone. He charged at me. <clears throat> Excuse me. He charged at me and ended up uh, pushing me as well. He got into a physical altercation. I noticed that he had at least one buddy with him because I seen. I looked over to my right. He started speaking to another guy in, uh, in a different language. I think he was, uh, he was from Yemen. They were both uh, Arabic males, so they started speaking to each other in a different language, kind of heightened the whole situation because I didn't know exactly what they said, right? So um, I said, uh, I said at that point, I said, warn them that I was armed and I had a firearm, so whatever it was, you know, let it go. He went back to the vehicle and said, said where his friend was and retrieved his firearm. Mm-hmm. As I was backing up trying to get out of there, he turned around so quick and I looked down, I seen something black in his hand. It looked just like close to like a 38, something like a revolver of some type. Hmm. And I pretty much freaked out. I, mean, I was like, man, this guy's yeah. uh, really taking this to the next level. And um, that's when I fired my firearm uh, multiple times. And, uh, Marcus, I'm, I'm going to have you put, put the brakes on just for a sec. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm gonna put. I'm gonna have you put the brakes on just a sec because I want to pause you at this point in the story. Okay. And also, I'm kind of wondering. I don't know if maybe the way you're holding your phone is maybe blocking the microphone or something because there's times where you come through nice and other times where it, it's just really muffled. Okay, let me see about. It. I'm, I'm gonna get some headphones. I'm not sure why that the volume. Sure, sure. Yeah, headphones. Uh, yeah. And if you want, we can pause, uh, take a, sh- a quick break while you grab those. Okay. Yeah. Cool, man. Um. Yeah, and I'm just so going to check in on some of the comments on uh, Facebook here. Um, 
Donnie, so Jason, what's up, Scott, Frank, and Sally. Sally says, yeah, she, he sounds like, she's saying, Marcus, you sound like you're underwater. So anyway, what's up, Matthew? So yeah, so what I was thinking uh, as, as uh, Marcus is getting his headphones is um, a couple things that, that, you know, it's a good time to pause and, and think about this, that a couple things that Marcus has already kind of keyed in on and stood out to me was his situational awareness. A couple of the things he said stood out to me as far as recognizing uh, when the, when, when the guy got out um, that he was intoxicated, you know, those are things that you wouldn't notice or, or it wouldn't key in on you, but they're big factors in the, you know, what ends up playing out. And if you're not paying attention and, and keying in on those people around you, um, you're going to miss things like that, you know? Um, and so those types of things that the, the language that they're speaking in a different language said it, it heightened his, his, uh, you know, sense of, Hey, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what they're saying, but that's going to heighten my awareness. So as we're listening to him, um, I don't even, you know, I don't know his background, um, yet. And I, I'm, you know, interested to find out his training level, but, um, that, that, situational awareness is potentially something that might've helped him survive this um, situation. And we should all try to implement whenever we're in any situation um, or area that we, you know, you were talking about it yesterday as far as being in condition red all the time, right? Like situational right. awareness. Um, but yeah, it does go up and down, but when, especially in certain areas, this one thirty in the morning, um, they're at a gas station in Detroit. I mean, your situational awareness has to be up here. And, um, can, can you hear me, Marcus? Now, yeah, I got some headphones. I can hear you real good. Oh, can you hear me? yeah, yeah. That is, yeah. You all right? We're night, all right. We're back. <laughs> yeah, that is night and day better, man. Great. Thank you for uh, for all right. accommodating us and and getting that sorted out. That's uh, so much better. That'll help people really. Uh, hear and relate to your story better. So, you know, as you were kind of doing all that stuff, Matthew was just touching on that he was he was noting that, uh, you know, your situational awareness was it seemed to you know be on point that 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 night. Yeah, I, you know that's the benefit too of uh, like I know I worked a lot I worked with people who are intoxicated all the time as far as working uh, in a casino and working for promotional companies and I knew that. When, uh, you know, just by the, his tone, his voice and the way he slurred his words that he was drunk. Mm -hmm. And so that was that was one thing that helped me notice an intoxicated person from just, you know, small signs just that quick. And then also, uh, like I said, my father was in the military, so I train often and he always talks to me every single day about uh, being smart, noticing your surroundings, you know, knowing when to pull your firearm, when to try to avoid the situation. Just, just, and a couple of those rules, he felt like I broke because I was out late anyway. But when I told him I was trying to help someone, he said, okay, okay, well, I'll let you slide this time. <laughs> <laughs> and I, rem I, I noticed in your book, you actually, in this part, part of your story, you actually say, hey, I felt like, because I was in a uh, Santa suit, she's dressed up. And she um, was dressed like, as Mrs. Santa, right? Right, 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 right. <laughs> so, so you even in the book um, kind of uh, really explain this well, and you say we felt I, I felt like we were sheep amongst wolves, and yeah, I, yeah. that stood out to me big time because you know it, it's this concept of you are 
you you're in Detroit, right? And you're out in one thirty in the morning with, with a with a uh, female, and you're looking around saying, "Man, we are not in a really great situation, right?" Right. So, right. Um, your your situation awareness kicks on, or you go to that next level, and everything that follows, you're kind of keyed in on. And and I, you know, I keep going back to that because it, it's so important for our listeners to understand um, how that plays into the remainder of what happens in your story. It's the power of context, man. Like you know, when you see a situation, a lot of times you see them on the news where people use their firearm and then they don't really give the details and how did that person get to that point. But when you look at the context and the totality of the whole situation and you realize, oh, well, I didn't know he was intoxicated. And, and then, oh, 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 you're right. I didn't take the account that if you are out at late in the city like Detroit, there's a possibility that something could happen. And I could see how everything led to where it did and understanding too. another thing, the guy, he left his car door wide open and it was uh, December it was broad. You know, it was winter mm-hmm. and um, he had his door wide open and just small things like that trigger something within you to let you know that something's not right. And when you get all that context together, it gives you the ability to paint a picture of why you felt it was time to use your firearm. And, and of course you have to explain this to a jury, right? So (laughs) this is all, this is all part of it. It, You know, I know I'm kind of jumping ahead, but that's some of the things that I had, I had to do. Yeah. Uh, so these guys approach, uh, and you were kind of difficult to understand a moment ago. It's so much better now. Did, did they say anything to to you guys or towards you guys or to to your uh, female uh, uh, friend? Not not at first. No, it was just kind of they pulled up. He hopped out the car, left his car door open, and walked up to her. And then he was just kind of like, you know, staggering a little bit. And mm. and and uh, he, he he did he did talk to his friend. Like I said, a few times. The first time he, I don't know what he said. He kept every time he talked to his friend, he was talking in a different language. He, he never spoke to his friend in English. Uh, the only thing he said to us uh, is uh, things like a lot. When he pushed her, he actually looked at me and said he didn't touch her or something like that. And he talked to us in English at that point, but it was very brief conversation. Okay. And so he got out and he pushed your friend down. And then you could you kind of from that point again pick up the story so we make sure we get all those details again? Okay. Yeah. So he pushed her down. Right? Well, she didn't fall, but he. When he pushed her, she kind of staggered back. She mm. she almost fell. Gotcha. Um, at that point, that's when I intervened and was and said that I, uh, you know, you know, hey, what are you doing? You know, I, some along the lines of stop it or what are you doing? And he just instantly like said, I didn't touch her, and he charged at me like instantly. It went from I didn't touch her to boom, I'm charging at you now. And I'm like, what is just you know, this dude is just really going off. So he pushes me. You know, I kind of pushed him back and I got this big Santa suit on. So, of course, this is really awkward for me to even move. My mobility is restricted. And uh, at that point, when I, I kind of pushed him off, I kind of gave him a, a, a you know, face shove. I kind of put my left hand in his face and pushed him back off me. Mm. He kind of looked at his friend and said something again to his friend. And I, at the time, I was like, is he called for backup? And he was going on. How many of them is it? You know, you know I don't know what's going on. But at that moment, I uh, gave him a warning and said, hey, you know, I, I'm armed. Leave me alone. Leave us alone. And whatever you guys are planning, in my mind, I'm saying, you know, just just go. And he looked back and said something like, you know, I got something for you. It was a, He said it so fast that it took me time to like process and say, did he say he got something for us? Or, I mean, what did he say? And 
And uh, the young lady, she was, she also was like, whoa, you know, backing up. And you could, I could tell in her eyes she was scared. And he ran to the car, and that's when he dug under the seat and got his firearm from under the passenger seat of the uh, Dodge Charger they were in. Mm. And it got, it is. You want me to continue from there too, or you want yeah, to like, yeah. pause so, for a minute? So he grabs from his car a gun. Correct. And that's when so you're. He goes on, that's when you're like the the crap is hitting the fan, right? Right here, right the, now. The huh? crap is hitting the fan. <laughs> And and it crazy once again the power of context because the, the the way the news reported the story was that I shot him when he was running to the vehicle which was the craziest thing I heard like what are you talking about this guy not only did he make it to his vehicle he actually went under the seat and retrieved his, his weapon and turned back around and came to me like he was coming back you know it took about two three steps towards me with the weapon so it, you know that's you know and so once that happened I had no choice but to uh, I did fire the first shot. Because I, at that point, I was trying not to let him even get a shot off when I seen the firearm, and he actually had begin to point it. You know, his arm began to come swing up, and I was like, "Hey, I'm not even going to let you uh, get a get a good aim," which is supposed, to, <laughs> which is the name of the game, is survival, right? So, right. you know, I I, I ended up uh, firing up. I think about at that point, it was like two shots. It happened so fast. I'm not sure if it, I fired one or two at that time, but I know I fired at least one, and. As I fired the first one, I end up hearing, I'm looking, I'm literally in shock. I'm looking at my firearm and I'm in shock. Mm-hmm. And I just remember return here, return fire. And that's when I just kind of blanked out and fired more shots. And I ended up firing another two to three. And we're, as I'm doing it simultaneously, I'm backing up. And, I'm, and the young lady's screaming to the top of her lungs so loud. that I feel like my eardrums are going to pop. And everything is going on all at once from screaming to shooting to heart pounding i mean you can hear my heart i i could i could have sworn that the whole gas station heard my heart beating and uh it was just like everything was amplified the light and the gas station was so much brighter than it was before it's almost like god was uh was reaching down from the heavens and uh so my you know of course my pupils probably were dilated so and so, and so i'm backing up and i didn't know if i the shots took effect just yet but uh, I kind of ducked behind a corner of the gas station to try to make sure that she was all right. And, and I had enough uh, ammunition to, to go another round, possibly, if this escalated. Mm. Wow. So uh, go ahead, Matthew. Just I, I had one quick question because I know it's probably going to be on the, the, the uh, listeners' minds. Is So obviously you're in, a, you're in a Santa Claus suit. So this is not like how you typically dress. So you're probably not right. carrying in the typical manner that you normally carry, right? Like. Uh, strong side hip, uh, appendix style, whatever. So um, I, I noticed in the book, you say, you know, y- y- it was hard because your pants are falling down because you're tr- wearing a bunch of layers of clothing, trying in the suit and, and things aren't really going with you, you know, the way you want it or the way we kind of plan it on the range when we're going for our times and things like that. Right. So, right. Uh, so what, so what kind of gun were you carrying? Um, and, exactly how how did this when you made the decision the conscious decision to draw your firearm how much was that um instantaneous where it was just muscle memory that the gun just came up and how much was it um your mental you know i have to start drawing the gun i have to do this trigger squeeze sights just let let the you know the listeners know how much is that just mm-hmm. instinctual and how much was from your training um where you actually were conscious of what you were doing yeah well first your first question uh 
Yeah, so I, I was in a difficult situation with my outfit. It wasn't an outfit that I usually train in. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, uh, my holster and everything was was compromised because the, the screw is one. Of, I actually had an XDM Springfield. So, you know, those XDM Springfield 40 caliber, they come with a holster. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And that, the holster I had. So the screw was actually stripped in the in this poster wouldn't hold together. So by the holster being compromised and me being a little lazy that week and didn't pick up a new one, I ended up having like to take the holster completely off. And when I put the firearm in, I had to tuck it in my belt just to hold it up, which was not the best thing to do, of course. And uh, and lo and behold, that night that I needed it most, I had not having to use it and didn't have my holster and didn't have it. Usually I would usually have it on my right side. This time it's kind of tucked more so in the middle. So I made a joke about it doing it the Tupac way. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, so that, that, that's, that's the answer to that part of your question. The second part, uh, remind me, you said, um, the, yeah, when you, when you actually decided to draw your firearm, oh, what was going through your mind? Was it more extinctual or were you conscious of what you're doing? It was, uh, definitely more, uh, muscle memory, muscle memory. I, because instinctual, it was, I didn't even line up the sights that I felt consciously consciously i just did it kind of instinctual of just like you know i pulled it up and it was almost like everything i lined up i, I remember how i pointed my fire and, I'm, and I, as i'm doing this on the video i'm actually doing it with my left hand trying to like put myself in the mold but I, I lined up perfectly as i think about it but it was like i didn't even think it just happened and i didn't even uh you know I, my breathing was kind of off because i was in a panic mode so Usually when you, I'm, I'm breathing, I, I, like in a range, I try to control my breathing. But so I was kind of shocked that I was able to, that I actually took effect and land pretty good. Considering the fact that I was panicked and I was panning, my breath was just like, <laughs> you know, and so I, I, I'm kind of shocked that I was able to do that. But it, 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 everything worked out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what was the distance between you and the first gentleman that you uh, that had the gun? It was it was anywhere from ten to fifteen feet. Okay, so from three to five yards, roughly. Three to five yards. If people want to think in terms of yards. Uh, so I mean, yeah, not not that not that far. Not that far. Very right. very close. Very close. Yeah. Yeah. So certainly capable of point shooting. Correct. Right. And also was backing up at the same time. So you figure that three four yards became five yards, six yards as I'm, you know trying to retreat as well. So I was still shooting as I was backing up. Yeah. So, all right, this dude, he goes back to the car. He pulls out his gun. He comes back to you. You go, oh, crap. You draw your gun, which if I heard you correctly, you, you said you were doing it the Tupac way. So yeah. like, did you, <laughs> were you, like, so, you, so I understand correctly. You just tucked your gun in your waistband that night. <laughs> yeah, I did. <laughs> Okay, it was folks. better than Plexico Burris. At least you didn't shoot yourself. Right? <laughs> at, least, at, least, at least I didn't shoot myself. Right. <laughs> All right. So first lesson learned of the podcast today is, well, may, maybe not the first because we did talk about situational awareness and all that. But uh, get get a decent holster, man. Get a decent holster. A de- <laughs> don't you don't use those holsters that come with the gun, man. I never would do that again. Those things suck. <laughs> uh, what, what kind of holster do you have now? Uh, I, God, I can't even remember the name of, I got, I, I got so many free holsters from people after this, uh, after this podcast <laughs> that I did earlier, 
that I, I just kind of grabbed them and I'm not really good with the names. Like I just can't, I just walked up one day yeah. and they were like, Hey man, we're going to send you a holster. And I just started <laughs> using them. But it, 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 the ones that tuck inside, uh, yeah, very inside good the waist. Yeah. inside the waist. Yeah. I, the brand, I'm not, I can't remember the brand and I have to look at it. Mm-hmm. And is it like an all Kydex or like a hybrid, like leather Kydex mix? It, it, it's an all hybrid. I mean, no, no, it's, I have one that's leather and one that's kind of like the plastic. Yeah. So I have it. two, two, I have one of each. Yeah. yeah. Cool, man. Cool. Well, I'm glad you're carrying, uh, hopefully with a much better holster now. So anyway, oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you're, you're carrying around your XDM 40 caliber in your waistband that night. Uh, the dude comes back at you with a gun. You draw, you, you basically instinctively shoot. Uh, you fired, it sounded like between four and maybe five shots. Correct. And the other guy, he fired back at you too. Correct. And do you recall about how many shots he fired your direction? At least two, man. Yeah. At least two. Yeah. Uh, I, some of it was overlapping and, and echoing, and I, it was it was hard for me to really like distinguish which gunshots were mine and his at that point. I was just like, oh crap. Yep. You know. And uh, it, it, you were not injured, correct? Not at all. And your friend was she okay? She, other than uh, her heart pounding a thousand times per minute, she was all right. Right, right. And okay, so so you get out of it okay. Uh, you fire back at, at this guy or these guys, uh, and I, I believe you wounded them. Is that correct? Correct. I hit I hit both men. I hit one uh, in the I think it was the appendix area and the bottom, no, the, the upper part of his his left leg, his thigh area. All in, you know, in front. Yeah. Uh, and then the other guy, he got hit in his left uh, arm, his left forearm. Yeah. So, um, all right, shots are fired. Uh, what what did they do? Like you shot them? Did they did they did they go down to the ground? Did they turn around and run? Did they get back in the car and take off? Like what happened after that? You know, at the time, I didn't know. Um, but I, I ended up seeing some video footage, so I did see they fell. He, he dropped immediately, the first guy. But at the time, I didn't know if he if he fell to the ground, if the shots took effect. Uh, I didn't know any of that. I just was trying to get to safety and get out of there. Yeah. Okay. So you did what you felt like you needed to do. Uh, the threat ceased being a threat towards you. Um, then, right. then what? So then we took off and ran down an alley going toward, I was looking for police and looking for help. I was had my phone calling 911. 911 did pick the phone up, but I was unable to give them the accurate directions because first I was in a panic. Number two, I looked behind me and here's a black car that looks just like the Charger that the young men were driving following me. So now I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, I must didn't hit them because they're, they're, coming, after, they're, they're coming back. They're coming <laughs> after me, yeah. So at that point, I'm hiding behind dumpsters. I'm, I'm literally got the 911 operator on the phone, just not saying anything, but just running. I'm just running with the with her on the phone. She's I heard, I heard her on speaker. She's like, hello, where, where are you? What's your location? But I couldn't get it out. Um, we ended up running. Erica and I, the young lady, we ended up running to uh, we seen ahead. It was a club called St. Andrews. So there was police officers in front of this club with their lights on. You, They do that all the time for when a club lets out. So I figured, hey, I'm going to run to the police officers and get help and let them know these guys are chasing me. So when I ran up to the police officers, they all looked at me, and I guess you, you had a gun in your hand at this point, right? I, I, actually, I, did, I, I was smart enough to at least put it back the Tupac way and <laughs> tuck it in. I didn't want to hold it. 
and front and uh, run to the police officers with a gun in my hand. I definitely didn't want to do that. But uh, I ended up running to- towards the officers with my hands in the air. And then they all pulled their firearms and said, get on the ground, get on the ground. And I got on the ground and they all surrounded me. And uh, I told them, they said, where's your gun? So I, I, at that point, I knew that someone radioed in and told them. So I said, well, my firearm's on my, uh, in front of my waistband, right in front of my stomach. So he got it off from under my, under the Santa suit. And from that point, it was like, oh man, like, I mean, I looked around, people were coming outside the club, taking pictures. I was like, this is getting ready to go viral. <laughs> like I'm on the ground, got guns on me. Hope, hope that they won't mistakenly discharge and shoot me in the back. I'm like, this is getting ready to be one of those stories that's just not going to sound good at all. Mm. Crazy, man. So they they cuffed you, right? They, they cuffed me. Which is not necessarily unexpected when, you know, even, even in good guy, bad guy shootings, sometimes the good guys are going to be cuffed, at least initially, until the police kind of sort, sort things out. But in this case, they they didn't let you go, right? They they arrested you. <clears throat> Correct. Okay. They arrested me on the spot. Read you your rights, to, uh, all that stuff. And they didn't read me my rights. I was, they actually didn't do that. <laughs> but okay. uh, did that they, come they later? Arrest me. Uh, I, I think they just dropped the ball and forgot altogether. To be honest with you, because I never recall hearing my rights even read to me not one time. Really? Wow. Now I was in a panic mode, so maybe they could have said it and I just missed it, but sure. I don't remember. Yeah. Is that something that your attorney brought up in the trial? Did that, did that become an issue at all? Uh, he did mention it, but it was we had so much other evidence that he was trying to get out there that that piece was kind of like, all right, we'll say it, but if 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 you know, it's hard to kind of prove that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we had so much other evidence. We focused on the main main uh, point. Okay. So I want to come back to the aftermath and, and talk some about the trial, but but before okay. that, uh, one thing I read in a couple of articles is that in the trial, the nine one one call that the store clerk at the convenience store made was not admitted into evidence. Is that right? That's absolutely right. So tell me, like, so obviously there were witnesses to what happened here, uh, right? What? I mean, tell us a little bit about those witnesses, maybe what they saw or what they said, but maybe never actually made it into the trial. I mean, I'm just kind of curious about that aspect. Well, the main witness that we had that was should have been mutual uh, or for both parties that just was uh, was the clerk because he was there. He didn't know. As far as I know, he didn't know any of us. He disappeared. He vanished. He uh, he made two statements. He made one on 911. The actual 911 call, mm. he said uh, there it was two. He said, I fired four shots and the other guy we had returned fire two to three shots towards me. And um, then he made a written statement to the Detroit Police Department. And that written statement was more in detail of how many shots he's uh, and well, just the entire situation from the argument to the to the pushing and shoving to the, uh, the young lady to uh, seven shots fired all total he felt and he kind of gave a description who had oh he talked about the guy going back to the vehicle so he he gave a detailed description to the police officer but he vanished so by him not being able to show up in court like we couldn't use this evidence it becomes hearsay 
it becomes hearsay. So this was like the only witness that I had that could at least acknowledge that there was a yeah. second gun. So, you know, other than myself and uh, the young lady, but this was the only one that could acknowledge that without having any bias. So yeah, it made it, it, it was tough because uh, we had to figure out how to like get it. Cause of course the, the court's looking at me like, Oh, you're going to say a gun. Cause there was no gun found, you know, there was no second gun found. The police uh, didn't find another one, which there's more to that as well. But he vanished, so I don't know where he went. We had a, I hired a private detective. The private detective could not find him. Mm. His parent, we he talked to his parents, but his parents kind of didn't give much help, and uh, he pretty much just got out of town. So yeah, and so that's not completely uncommon, and you you probably you know know this kind of stuff where um, in these types of situations witnesses become fearful for retribution against the people that they might end up testifying against or giving a statement against, you know, that would incriminate them. So the people, the, the, the guys that you shot, uh, obviously we know your background, you, you know, you didn't have a criminal history, um, from your book. I, I was reading that, you know, you actually just had one custody of your daughter. So obviously a judge found you very competent to, to raise your daughter and, and things and, and you were doing well, you were working and everything. So what was, what were their backgrounds? Because I, I'm guessing that they probably um, weren't very, you know, uh, upstanding people. Is that fair to say? It's fair. I mean, well, one, they were, they both used alias names. So it was kind of hard to look them up and stuff because they, they weren't from, they, they were from, I know at least one of them was from Yemen and he fled back to the country. He didn't even stick around for the trial and there was no records of him. The other one, he was from Detroit. Uh, and I believe he worked for a gas station. He was a clerk or some kind of attendant. You know, I'm not sure what his job was, but he worked for a gas station. I think his family owned the gas station he worked for. So there's also this thought that, and that we had, as far as maybe they own a gas station, they knew the gas station owner that uh, and got rid of the clerk. I mean, it was all kind of stories that we were trying to put together, not knowing everything. But uh, we never really got a, a answer that we can actually say for sure, for sure, this is what happened. But, yeah, that's the only thing we knew about them. Wow. So as I'm listening to this, I mean... Uh, on one hand, like you can kind of, you can kind of see, I mean, just trying to, I'm trying to think from like an outside perspective, you know, looking uh -huh. in, like if I was a police officer on the scene or somebody else on the scene, like where you don't necessarily know all the facts and exactly what happened, um, you know, and then some of the people that are involved kind of like disappear and stuff. Like I can kind of see, I mean, it was a big mistake made here by you being charged and having to go to trial and all that? Yeah, absolutely. But I guess what I'm just trying to say is you can kind of see why maybe, I mean, the prosecutor's office clearly thought wrongly that you had committed a crime here. Right. Right? And right. sometimes when we have these kind of incidents, evidence and things doesn't always, number one, there might not be a lot of evidence, right? Number, right. Number two, it might not necessarily always paint the picture that we – you know that it that we know that it should um and so yeah i mean like this is just a reality i think of these types of, of gunfights because we, we have seen right. this other places too where 
if maybe there had been a little bit more evidence, if maybe there had been better witnesses, maybe more reliable witnesses, maybe some better video footage, whatever it is, it right. would have definitely painted a much clearer picture. In your case, it sounds like the picture, unfortunately, evidence-wise, was not as clear as it as we probably would have liked. But I find it really interesting that even that 911 call was not introduced into evidence in your trial. Right. That was the biggest thing. And also the video, we didn't get the video footage for the actual uh, the shooting, the part that it did capture. We didn't get that until like seven, eight months down and down the line. And we were told that there was no video available at first. So, which is which uh, is ridiculous because you're at a, a gas station, right? There's at always a gas video. Station, yeah. <laughs> it, what, what I'm what I'm curious about, and and you kind of sum this up, Riley, when you said that the evidence really was, uh, you know, not completely um, did, didn't completely paint a, a crystal clear picture, right? So, what I'm wondering, and you know, self defense laws vary from state to state, but what I'm wondering is. And maybe you can talk about this as far as what happened in the trial or the, the, the arguments that were brought in the trial. But with with that lack of evidence, it's hard to say that I can, sec- as a prosecutor, that I can secure a conviction based on no evidence. Uh, basically, even if it's a he said, she said shooting, as a prosecutor, if I don't have evidence, it's hard for me to say, well, this guy's the, the the aggressor, or this guy is the bad guy, and I can secure a prosecute or I can secure a conviction against this based on the evidence I have. So my question is like, as far as the pretrial and things, when they started, you know, presenting evidence against you, what was the argument? Were they saying that obviously they must have said that you were the aggressor or or, or something right. like that? So how how did that all go down? And and you know what what evidence did they actually use to say that you were the aggressor? Yeah for lack of a witness statement, video proof or something. How did, how did you become the aggressor in their eyes? Yeah. Good, good question. Well, the, the only, the, th- the main thing here was that I was the only one at the time until I took the stand that they could point the finger and say, he's the only one who had a firearm and there was no other firearm found at this on the scene. So that's, that was how she hung her, hung everything on that. On that note, and then she also, the prosecutor also wanted to make a point that she wanted to paint the picture that this guy was running away from me, trying to get to the vehicle when I opened fire. Make it. She made a point to say that you know, it was over. I decided to pull my gun out and started to escalate and shoot as he was trying to get away from me, which was kind of crazy for me. I didn't, I didn't feel, I didn't think that that was a good point to come at because first he got hit in the front. And number two, when this video was going to finally be introduced, it was going to show that he got he was coming back. So I didn't know. I felt that was kind of a weak way to go about it. But she really never acknowledged the fact that the guy rushed under the seat. She always made sure never to mention that. She always made make sure to, to just keep the focus on that he was running away for that brief moment. And then that's when I decided to start to shoot. Yeah. And I was supposed to be this jealous guy who was mad that he was trying to talk to my girl. They, mm-hmm. That was the other. That was the other one, mm-hmm. and um, so she tried to. She tried to really. It's more of destroying the character, you mm-hmm. know. And she was just kind of like, you know, hey, you know, he's, you know, he he's out late, you know, with this young lady, and he's jealous, and you know, this guy's coming over just trying to get a soda from the gas station, and he steps on her. He stepped. He backed up and, and stepped on his on the young lady's foot, and I got upset and charged into the guy's face and made this big argument about why did you back up and bump my girl? And that was one of the also things that the statements that the young man made that he bumped the girl and 
accidentally, but he was behind her, not in front of her. So how did he back up into her? You know, <laughs> so so a lot of these things they were these statements they were making, it just it just wasn't true. And being the fact that you were coming from uh, like a Christmas party, right? And you said that right. the, the other two, at least one of them was intoxicated. Did the police ever take uh, blood from you at the scene to try to figure out or, or figure out if you were intoxicated at all and, and show that like, hey, I'm, I'm clear of mind. I, I, you know, I, um, I, I know what's going on and, and these things are, or was it just kind of like a rush where everything happened so quickly and you were arrested and that was it. Was there any sort of like investigation that was done at this time? There was, there was no investigation as far as alcohol testing on my behalf. Um, I know they tested those guys at the hospital, but no one tested me. Um, I was just thrown into a cell and just, you know, had to sit there for 72 hours. Mm. And, and um, as far as the scene goes, we found out later, too, that the police didn't check the entire scene. They just checked the vehicle. They didn't check the dumpster. They didn't check the tr- dump uh, trash cans. And if and in oh. the video showed the guy, the guy was running back toward the dumpster area and he came back. So probably did. Yeah, we, we 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 and when we seen that, we asked the, the my, well, my attorney asked. He said, hey, did you check the dumpster? And, he, and then the officer said, well, I just kind of went over there and flashed my light over the top of it. I didn't really get inside and open it up. I just kind of took my light and flashed it over the top. So he, he made it point blank. He said, well, that's not a good search. It's the possibility that the gun could have slid in the bottom and you didn't see it. Right. He said, you know, yeah, it's a possibility. Sure. OK, well, you didn't you didn't you didn't search the scene. Yeah, I guess not. Hmm. Now. Tell us a little bit more now. So you, how many charges were you, you? I believe you had seven felonies that were that you were charged with. Seven. Yeah. Uh, aggravated yeah, assault, seven, seven. attempted murder, all kinds of different things, right? Correct. Yeah, you could have gone to jail for a long time. Yeah, it was, I think, all together about 30 years. Wow. Now, <clears throat> tell us a little bit about you're sitting in the cell. You know, you, you just said you had to spend a minimum 72 hours in the jail. Uh, so... Did you then get out on bail? Is that what happened at that point? Correct. I got first. I got transferred down to the Wayne County Jail from the holding cell, and then I had to go through this process where they had to make sure I didn't have any uh, warrants or any uh, old tickets and things like that. And, and I eventually got bailed out. Gotcha. So all together, it was probably ninety hours. Yeah. What What about hiring your attorney? Uh, how did that go down? Uh, how did you find him? Uh, that sort of thing. Man, my mom actually came through in the in the clutch on that one because she she knew a police officer and he said this was the guy to go to and he was good at uh, mm. cases when it involved uh, murder. And at the time, we didn't know if the guy was going to die or not, so this could have easily been a murder case as well. Sure. So, um, that's she she hired him on the spot, and cool. he ended up coming through. What what did your defense cost? Do you, are you able to share that Man. number? A lot, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Now I can. It was a lot. I mean, from bond to I hired different experts. You know, it was over forty grand, close to fifty grand, easy. Uh, you figure uh, tether. I, I was also on house arrest. The tether cost money. Uh, so I add all that together. You're talking about well over forty grand going into fifty grand. Wow. I, I would say you got off easy, man. I mean, I've heard of some defense cases costing way more than that. 
Uh, but that's yeah. still a lot of money. Is that, I mean, is that money you had or like, how did you pay for that? Are you still paying? For I had, well, yeah, I'm still paying a lot of credit cards and a lot of, um, Dang. a lot of credit cards, a lot of loans, a lot of, uh, church members helping out a lot of friends. I had a GoFundMe link that I got about a good five grand off of from friends and family. But most of it was just, you know, like right now I got a ton of debt that I'm just slowly like chipping away at. I'm just living off credit cards, man. And, and I I was fortunate to have a family that was able to, you know, help, help me out. And I had money saved. I, you know, I worked for, I worked at a job for 10 years, man. I had a decent, uh, 401k that I was able to pull pull from my 401k mm. and um, so things like that I was able to get the, I was able to actually get like 15 to 20 grand out of from my 401k so that was pretty sweet wow. so I had that unfortunately I had to use it on legal fees so that was tough but at least I did have it wow. and legal fees it seems like you should have never had to had you know they gone through at least in the pre-trial or evidentiary hearing, find, see that there's no way we're going to be able to convict this guy. I mean, we just botched the investigation. There's no evidence that this guy's the aggressor and it's a he said, she said. It seemed like, I mean, and I don't, I don't you know, I, I only have what I have as far as the information, but it almost seemed to me as, as you know, a... a prosecution that was almost vindictive, like almost that we want to make an example out of this guy that, you know, uh, you know, gun violence, we're going to stop gun violence and anybody who right. shoots a gun, we're going to, we're going to make sure that we're protecting the community and things. And then you get, you get caught up in this political, you know, uh, push by a prosecutor who's ambitiously trying to, you know, get a conviction in a case that they don't, they're never going to be able to convict. I tell you one another side note too. Actually, it was two prosecutors on my case. One of them backed out, and the other one took over. So I don't know mm -hmm. if the other one backed out because she didn't feel like it was something she wanted to do anymore. But I heard stories that she pretty much was kind of like, you know, uh, I don't, I'm not feeling this whole prosecuting thing. I'm out, mm -hmm. and uh, she she ended up quitting and changing her whole career because it was she felt it was just too stressful. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that they were pushing her to move forward with cases, cases that she didn't want to move forward with, not just mine, but others. So, yeah, um, it was, a uh, it was one of the things where they felt like, Hey, we can hold back evidence. And Matthew, I honestly believe they were just trying to get me to take a plea. They figured, figured like we, if we get him to take a plea deal, we don't have to worry about going deep in detail. Exactly. So that was her major strategy. You, you put a lot of charges on somebody and you hope they plead out and you get that conviction rate up uh, for your, your, you know, notch in your belt that I got another conviction of a gun crime and look at me. And then when I want to become uh, not a deputy uh, district attorney, but when I want to become the district attorney or when I want to run for this, look at my, look at my uh, conviction rate. You know, I got a 99% conviction rate. I got arrested guys with guns and murder charges and things. And it, it Right. It's, it's, it's terrible. Uh, the way, yeah. Yep. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's not that untypical. You got prosecutors and, and people that want to make a name for themselves. They want to, uh, you know, add a little, another notch to that totem pole as they're trying to work their way up. Um, so, all right. So it costs you a lot of money. Uh, fortunately you got a decent attorney that did a good job and got everything cleared up. Uh, how long did the whole process take from the event happening uh, to the end of that trial? 
a year and three months. Yeah. And so during this year and three months, 15 months, your life's turned upside down, right? You're, you're tethered, Correct. right? You had to be, you had a uh, uh, home arrest, right? You're, you're stuck at home. Right. Can't really go hardly anywhere. So what, you, what are you doing are during you, that time, man? Yeah. I mean, were you able to have your, your, your daughter with you during the time or, or what man. was the case? That part, I mean, I had child protective services coming down at one point trying to take my daughter, but I was able Jeez. to I had to get an attorney to stop that from happening. So that was another attorney. So I had two attorneys. Man, it was it was like I was going from criminal court to family court, and then I was able to go back to work six months later after I kind of talked to my job and said, "Hey, man, you know, it's an ongoing investigation." So he allowed me to come back. So at first, I wasn't working. Mm-hmm. But I came back to work about five. I think it was more like five months into the case. It was I, I came back to work, dude. Like, what so the- uh, I was just sitting at I was just sitting at home playing, like watching Netflix and move. I watched every single Netflix movie you can think of. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. man! I mean, people have to understand, right? Like, if this happens to you, you. You, you, you're not just talking about the cost of your defense, but the cost of being out of a job, potentially, of losing your right. job. Maybe then that means you lose your home or your whatever, you know, where you live. Yeah. Uh, if you got car payments, you know, maybe you lose your car. Like, like this can literally overnight transform your life and, and destroy it. So, man, like, kudos to you for making it through all this, man. Yeah, the financial burden was the worst part of. Other than the fact that, you know, I could have been, well, I guess there's a few parts of it could have been went different. I mean, I could have been dead. I could have been in jail. But I know financially, the aftermath of how much money you spend, you will never get that back. You know, it'll be something that I'll be paying off for a while. And it'll be something that's going to like, you know, kind of kind of leave an impression on me mentally as well. As far as this, you know, I kind of find myself you know, kind of scared to go in different areas, man. I just, just think, just think like, Hey man, I think the worst now It's kind of paranoid almost. And I'm slowly getting out of that phase, but the aftermath, man, it's tough. Mm-hmm. You met, you mentioned something uh, a while back about, um, you know, you had great community, your church helped you out. You had to go fund me and things, but as you're sitting there and this trial is playing out and, and um, like your book is called guilty until proven innocent. Right. So, what is it like and or tell me what you felt when you're watching news coverage of your incident and they're misportraying it they might be you know um ma- making statements that you know are totally uh, unsubstantiated and you see comments on facebook and all these things of you know uh, kind of slaughtering your character one way or the other how important was it that you had that family support and that you were like Man, I, I know that I did this because it was a last resort, right? I, I, I know I'm, I, I can be, you know, truthful in my heart that when I pulled the trigger, it wasn't, I wasn't the aggressor. So how did, how did that, like, uh, you know, yeah. was, it, was it difficult to go through that constantly and see these things? And um, how important was it, was your church and faith and all that? Yeah, I, I hang, I hang my head on my character, man. It's, I always look at, you know, people, everyone who knows me knows. I'm not the type of guy that they try to portray on the news. So that hurt. That hurt, you know. Uh, that left a that left a, a bruise deep, you know. And I just was kind of like, man. And people were judging me. And people who I that knew me actually were judging me. And everybody at the jobs talking about me. 
So I was going through all that. Then the only people I had that didn't judge me was my family and my church and my close, close, close friends. And uh, so my faith grew because I was put through a stressful situation and I was able to come out on top. So I was able to see that how sometimes you got to just, you know, put your put your uh, problems and let the Lord handle it. And that's one thing I stood on and has made me a better person, knowing that I had to lean on him to get through it because leaning on man, you're in trouble. <laughs> you know, you're in trouble because they're, they're, they're going to judge you. They're going to question you. They're going to, you know, a lot of people were kind of just kind of like, I don't know, man, staying away from me, thinking I was this deranged lunatic. So, uh, and then my face was all over the news. So everywhere I went for a period of time, man, I was a hot topic in town. Yeah. So when I will go through, you know, I would go to uh, anywhere from the gym to just a restaurant, you know, you figure you're in a restaurant, you look up and then all of a sudden your name, your face is on TV. I remember when I was at Applebee's and I was sitting there and my face is on TV. The guy looks at me. He was like, oh, man, you went to some some, some S.H.I.T. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I am. You know, and it was just like, damn. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Man, what a crazy story. A uh, couple of last questions. Uh, first of all, what are your thoughts on like the USCCA or, you know, some of these other kind of self-defense insurance type programs, uh, CCW Safe, US Law Shield? Uh, so, you know, uh, any thoughts on any of those types of programs? Yeah, man, it's definitely, it's definitely a necessity, man. Like I've, as a matter of fact, I, as a matter of fact, I met Matthew at the USCCA convention and that's one of the reasons I got a chance to meet Tim. Uh, and I think, USCCA is probably the best option, in my opinion, to go with, considering the fact what you got coming, the, the price that, that it comes, the package that comes in. But there are now other options out there as well. I know UC, USCCA was one of the original, uh, but there are kind of other options out there that you can choose to go with. I know the NRA Carry Guard, they just brought out a new product. Uh, this is the first time NRA has uh, had something like this. Um, but I, I think you should do your own research and pick which one that you feel is the best for you. and, and affordable and it's going to cover not just the legal fees, but also it's going to help you if you get caught up in a lawsuit. Yeah. You know, so that's also something that's a problem because I, I didn't, I, fortunately I was able to avoid that, but that's a possibility as well. And uh, also ment- your mental health, you know, how are you after the uh, process of being charged with seven felonies and sitting in jail and spending all this money mentally? Are you there? Cause there was a point where I was going to therapy and things weren't looking too good for me mentally, but I was able to kind of pull it together. So the mental aspect, USCCA also helped the mental uh, aspect. And I'm not sure I haven't did my research on the other ones. If they tap into that, you know, giving you therapy or not, I know the firearms legal protection does, but that's a big piece. Mm-hmm. For sure, man. Okay. I'll go ahead, Matthew. One quick thing, uh, Vinay, uh, there was a question or a statement. I think, I think her name's Vinay. Um, and she, she, she it said is. his ordeal. It's my mom. All right. So here we go. Um, uh, hi, mom. <laughs> his, or, his ordeal makes you wonder if it's worth it. It's horrible what he went through and what he had to defend himself in our court system. A lot of risk in more ways than one. And I totally agree with that. Um, I guess the flip side of that is, if he didn't, what what do you think would have happened if he didn't have a firearm? And, and this guy is, you know, plugging away. Um, 
at you. I mean, eventually probably you, you could have been injured or killed or she could have, you're, you know, she could have been injured or killed. So, I mean, I, I totally agree with that. It, it, it really does. And that's why I wanted you to come on the show because it really does put in the, put in the context that tr- squeezing the trigger and all the stuff that we practice on the range is just uh-huh. microscopic part of the whole picture and, and everything that goes into it. And so we really have to prepare ourselves. We can prepare ourselves so much with sight alignment and sight picture and this and that. But if we don't prepare our mind and our body and our understanding of what happens after the fact, if we do get in a shooting, um, you know, like you said, if you didn't have your, your faith and your support, imagine you're injured, you're in the hospital going through this, or you don't have a family that supports you, or you don't have a 401k, you know, you're relying on a public defender. I mean, that it could be, we wouldn't be, I I, I bet we wouldn't be speaking to you right now because you'd be in prison. Exactly. You're right. um, God bless the, you know, good thing God, you know, made everything, you know, obviously came out the way it was supposed to come out in the, in the long run. But that is such a good statement. I just wanted to, wanted to, you know, read it, uh, read it to you and, and see, you know, how you feel about that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. Uh, it makes you second guess sometime. Like, is it worth it to even have a firearm and what, you know, do I want to put myself in a position where I may have to go through with Mark, what, what Marcus went through? I'm sure that's what some of the listeners are thinking. And, but you rather be, uh, what's the saying? You rather be judged by 12 than carry by six. If you get in a situation that you need a firearm, it's better to have it than not have it. You need one and not, you know, not have one. So. Yep. For sure. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the way I look at it. Right. I mean, you could sign your death warrant today. You know, if, if you fail to respond to a deadly threat, uh, or you take a chance and you respond and maybe you sign your death warrant later. Uh, the reality is, un- unfortunately for you, but fortunately for most everybody else, uh, what happened in your case, Marcus, is honestly, you know, because I've talked to a lot of people who've been through similar situations to you, man. Yours is the exception rather than the rule. I mean, does it happen? It does happen sometimes where mistakenly people we just talked to a guy yesterday on facebook live or i did uh that he was arrested uh for in in a case of mistaken identity right and it took a lot of effort for him to get that all cleared up as well but these are the exceptions rather than the rules uh doesn't mean that it's right that they happen but we we do need to uh, do everything we can to make our justice system better to make it work better to make it more efficient make sure cops and prosecutors doing their job the right way um you know, and also make sure that we put some responsibility on ourselves too to make sure that if something does happen, uh, we take the steps necessary to make sure we have the absolute best attorney that we can have, right? And that right. we maybe have done something that protects us in the event that we got to, you know, we got to pay for that. Or so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, and, and like you said, you met Matthew. That's how this all came together. Was you two talked at the U.S. Concealed Carry uh, Association's uh, Expo, the OCCA Expo, uh, in uh, Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, yeah, like I'm, I'm glad there are products like that that exist because it makes a world of difference in people's lives uh, when it comes down to this. So, hey, man, um, as we just wrap up here, 
last words, thoughts, um, you know, any lessons that you'd still like, you know, are, is there anything that as you look back that you wish maybe you had done a little bit differently that you had maybe approached differently? Um, any just last words of advice you want to pass on to the viewers and listeners today? Uh, just remain vigilant, man. You know, you never know when a situation like this can happen. So you want to make sure that at all times you're paying attention to your surroundings and, uh, Get one of those programs, whatever one you want to, you know, USCCA, legal firearms, legal protection, NRA care guards. You got to pick one and, and stick with it. You know, you need one at least. And so I know people have multiple. <laughs> so it's definitely worth it. It's like car insurance, in my opinion. Yep. Uh, so get involved in your fight in your community as far as knowing the laws and in, in your particular uh, demographic as far as firearm laws go. Uh, I wasn't as proactive as I should have been as far as keeping up on a lot of different things. If I was, I would have had a USCCA because I would have been notified that something like that even exists. So, you know, if I could do something different, you know, I mean, maybe you could say not, maybe not go to the gas station, maybe call a tow truck earlier. I mean, you can go all through this hindsight, but what happened happened. So it's not that it's nothing that you really can sit back and kind of change it's just one of them freak accidents, freak circumstances where you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Mm, for sure. For sure. Well, man, crazy stuff. Marcus, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Uh, I, I know that it was eye-opening for me in a lot of ways. Uh, I'm certainly sure that was the case for viewers and listeners to the podcast today as well. Uh, it's good of you and people like you. We've had others before you, and we'll have probably many more after you that are willing to come on the show and share their story and, and what we can learn from that. And hopefully, uh, and that's what we're passionate about here at ConcealedCarry.com, the Concealed Carry podcast, is training, educating, and preparing American gun owners. So brother, we wish you the best of luck. Uh, we hope to see you, you know, uh, we, we hope to see much success coming your way in the future. I know you got a lot of endeavors you're working on and, and a lot of great things I think you're doing as a second amendment advocate and also as one that wants to see uh, refer, re reform happen in the justice system. So um, anything we could do to assist um, and whatever, just let us know. And we'd love to connect again with you at some point down the road. Hope to see you somewhere. Oh yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. And good to see you again, Matthew, man. We'll, we'll keep in touch. Absolutely. Marcus. And, and one thing before you take off, um, I know that you can get the, the, your book on Kindle, right? It's electronic on uh, Amazon and stuff. Is there anywhere else they can get your book? So if they want to read uh, yeah. it, there's questions about the, that. The, the Amazon is on Amazon. Uh, my, also my website, MarcusWellen.com. Uh, so it's the Santa shooter guilty and some proven innocent. Uh, the only one out there like it, <laughs> you're not going to find another Santa shooter anywhere around here. But, uh, <laughs> um, so I, of course I ran with the name because that's what the news called me and, uh, <laughs> it's my website. Uh, also, uh, all the eBooks, all the different eBooks, they're, they're available in all the different eBook forms. Yeah. Uh, I'm, awesome. Yeah, thanks, Matthew, for reminding me. And actually, I I did mean, mean to spend a little bit more time talking about your book, but uh, your story was just so compelling. And obviously, you tell your story in the book. And, yeah, yeah right, right. And so, folks, uh, uh, and I've I've not gotten too far into it. I've read uh, about the first chapter, uh, so I will uh, probably continue onward with that and look forward to to finishing your book, man. So so far, what I read, I mean, like uh, good 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 on you, man. Good work. Like actually, pretty 
pretty good writing. I appreciate it. Thank you. Yeah. Good stuff. Well, folks, uh, once again, uh, MarcusWeldon.com. That is spelled M-A-R-C-U-S-W-E-L-D-O-N. D-O-N. And my, and my Facebook as well. They can follow me on my Facebook, uh, Marcus Allen Weldon. I'm, I'll actually uh, maybe uh, comment on the link in the Facebook link and, you know, introduce myself so everybody can kind of just follow me on Facebook if they need any, if have any questions or anything. But Marcus Allen Weldon, just like the football player, Marcus Allen, that's my middle name, <laughs> and Weldon, W-E-L-D-O-N. Yeah. Cool, man. Awesome. Well, thanks again. We appreciate you, sir. Uh, and you know, you're welcome to stick around as I kind of wrap up the episode here, or if you want to, uh, ditch out, you know, do your thing, man. It's all, all good. So, okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, guys, uh, what an interview, Matthew. Thanks for doing this with me, man. Um, yeah, thank you. I could see your, your brain thinking, uh, you know, throughout a lot of it and, and you had some great questions to ask too. So, um, anyway, hey, uh, as we wrap it up here, just a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by GuardianNation.com, GuardianNation.com. Also, check out, as it was, as was mentioned, check out Marcus's book. Check out uh, his website, MarcusWeldon.com. And I think today's episode is probably also unofficially sponsored by the USCCA. <laughs> so, uh, you know, or, or really just any of those self-defense insurance type programs, uh, because one of the big lessons today is, yeah, make sure you have something in place. Uh, a big lesson that we kind of took away from the interview I had with uh, uh, Josh McKay yesterday uh, as I did a little Facebook Live with him, and I'm going to publish that as a bonus podcast episode. For those of you that are audio only, uh, that were not able to catch the Facebook feed, uh, I'm going to publish that as a bonus because you're going to want to hear that experience as well. And in his case, unfortunately, USCCA or whatever wouldn't have helped him in his incident because it wasn't even a gun-related charge. It was something completely else unrelated. But then he lost his Second Amendment rights, and so a lot of lessons to be learned from that too, as far as just in a, in, a, in a general sense, making sure that you've done some things in your life personally to make sure that you're prepared. And as is the case also too with any of these self-defense stories, these justified saves that we share on the podcast, like Marcus's and others, uh, besides the legal aspect, uh, understanding the law, uh, besides having the training and all that stuff, but making sure that Morally speaking, uh, whatever it is you believe in, uh, if it's God, whatever, make sure that you're in a right place uh, personally, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is, so that in the event that you have something like this occur, that you're also prepared in that way, that either one, you're, you're ready to say goodbye, or you're just able to have that that mental and emotional uh, stamina and fortitude to get through it. Because as you can tell, I mean, these sorts of things just drag on and on and on, and it's going to wear you down. Anyway, so uh, if you you can head on over to concealedcarry.com, by the way, concealedcarry.com forward slash insurance. Um, that, that's a short link that's not live yet, but I will go make it live here and just a, as soon as we wrap this up, where if you head on over to concealedcarry.com forward slash insurance, you can see the whole comparison chart of all the different insurance companies out there, uh, what they offer, what they don't offer. Just You can compare everything, and there's links for every one of them there too where you can go and get signed up if that's something that you're looking into. 
All right. We'll just try to make it easy for you. On concealedcarry.com, if you haven't been there in a while, uh, we've got so many free resources. So we've got a reciprocity map tool. We've got legal resources as far as at a glance, you can look up really fast uh, laws for states that you might be visiting or traveling through. We've got uh, the insurance tab, you click on that, that, that'll take you to the page that I just gave you the short link for. All those things are just there to make it really easy for you to learn you know, and be educated and, and hopefully better prepared in all these different aspects. Um, and meanwhile, since I'm on that subject, we take all those same tools and put them in the Concealed Carry uh, Gun Tools app, which is available for Android and iPhone devices, Apple devices. And so check out the Concealed Carry Gun Tools app for all those same resources pretty much in the palm of your hand, ready to go. One other thing too, and and Marcus is still hanging around, he's listening, but uh, one thing that people may not know about the app, I'll just kind of show you, those of you that are watching, if you go into the kind of the profile or the menu part of the app, uh, there is a place where it's called My Contacts. And you'll see in here, uh, it's actually pulling up some stuff in mine, so I'm not going to show exactly what's there. But but you can actually list in there your attorney, okay, someone that you've pre-selected. You can list a firearms instructor. You can list other important contacts so that very quickly you can just pull up the app and find those things quickly. So have that, re- that stuff ready to go, especially an attorney. Well, anyway, uh, oh, and to learn more about the app, concealedcarry.com forward slash mobile app. Uh, if you go there, if you go to that link on your mobile device, it should automatically get you set up to download the app. Well, it's time to sign off and say goodbye. Thanks all for joining us. Thank you, those of you that joined us on Facebook. Uh, Tristan, Aaron, Caroline, Sally, I know, spent uh, was on here qu- for quite a while and, and dropped a lot of comments. Uh, Vinay, yes, my mom. <laughs> That's my mom. Uh, all kinds of, uh, of, of folks uh, joining us on Facebook Live today. If you want to catch the Facebook Live feed, head on over to the Concealed Carry Facebook page. Just search Concealed Carry in Facebook. You should be able to find our page. It's pretty much the top page when you search concealed carry. Uh, at least it should be. If it's not, we're, we're working on it. And make sure you turn on notifications for live uh, events like this so you don't miss another one. So with that, Matthew, thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. And we will sign on off out of here. Just a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe so you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.